This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast, a podcast where we are looking at today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I'm Rob Pacienza, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, John Rabe. Great to see you, John. Great to see you, Rob. I am always excited when we get together to do the the podcast each week, but I am particularly excited today because you and I had a chance recently to sit down with someone who's really a, a hero of mine and somebody I've looked up to for a long time and somebody who everybody listening knows, and that is Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, we uh, are going to have Ben Carson on the podcast today. And and Rob, recap a little bit for those who are familiar with him but may not know every detail of his story, just what it is that's so amazing about Ben Carson. Well, he's arguably the world's most famous neurosurgeon. Yep. Uh, he is an incredible leader in both private and public. Uh, he is someone who has uh, been called to exercise his faith in the public square, obviously serving in the previous presidential administration. Uh, he is the founder of the American Cornerstone Institute, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, and most importantly, is just an incredible man of faith. Uh, he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he exercises his faith, as I said, uh, in the public square and serves as an example to all of us of what it means to be a bold witness for the kingdom. Such an inspiring American, really American story and an inspiring Christian story as well. He tells us a little bit about it in the interview that you're about to hear. But, uh, you know, this is a guy who grew up, uh, you know, poor in the ghetto of Baltimore to a, a single mother, uh, really got involved in sort of a violent life. Uh, he's talked about that, that he was a dangerous person uh, to, to others and had a lot of anger in him, uh, has a, a transformative account with Jesus Christ and is is also in a situation where academic pursuit is sort of uh, looked down on. It's nerdy. It's something that's not cool to do. But uh, he has pulled out all of that. He advances past that, as you said, becomes really one of the premier neurosurgeons in the entire world. Uh, I, I always like to to joke, We, you know, uh, I'm people tell me all the time I'm no brain surgeon and you sit next to Dr. Ben Carson and you realize that's really true. This is like, I'm not often in the press. Like, with you, I'm with somebody who's roughly two to three times smarter than I am, but I'm, I'm rarely that. I'm rarely in a room with somebody who's 10 or 20 times smarter than right. I am, and uh, Dr. Ben Carson is like that. He's just a, a, a gifted surgeon, a, a, an amazing man, and then has this second chapter in his life, which is the political chapter. He ran, as many people will recall, he ran for the Republican presidential nomination in 2016, uh, ultimately fell short, and then uh, took a job in, in Donald Trump's administration. But I remember at the time, conservative friends, uh, you know, when it was still up in the air, when there were 10 different people running, it was... Dr. Ben Carson, that intrigued so many of them because he didn't feel like a political animal. He didn't seem like somebody who came from that realm. Right. Here's a thoughtful, accomplished, uh, intelligent guy who is running for the highest office. Who's unapologetic land. about yeah. his faith in Jesus exactly. Christ. I mean, referring to that story when he was, a, uh, I think, a teenager and struggled with anger and self-control. Um, I mean, when you ask him, what was the thing that changed and transformed your life? I mean, he is quick to mention his 
his salvation experience, his testimony, and his belief in Jesus Christ as the transformative experience in his life that changed everything and now to this day uh, continues to motivate and inform his public service. When we did sit down and talk with him, we talked about a wide variety of topics. We talked about the false claims that America is systemically racist. Uh, We talked about the importance of teaching the true story and history of America in our public schools and to the next generation. Uh, We talked about the uh, epidemic of fatherlessness in America and uh, kind of the impact on our current culture and the next generation, the nuclear family and its importance as the bedrock of a flourishing society. So it was just a fascinating interview uh, with a man, as you said, is literally a brain surgeon, uh, but also someone who truly lives out his faith in both private and public. We packed a lot in with him. And, and you know, we, we use the term uh, very loosely, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about a gentleman, but this truly is a gentleman, a gentleman. You talk to him, just a, a kind-hearted, thoughtful person. Uh, but again, he points out, and, and it's worth recognizing, that's because of Christ in him. He did not begin that way. He was he was violent and angry, and, and it's Jesus Christ who changed his heart. So we have the social aspect and then also the personal transformative aspect of Dr. Carson's life. It's just, yep. just an outstanding American story. Honestly, you know, I've been doing this job for a long time. We interview a lot of people here, but there's rarely someone I was more excited to meet and get a chance to talk to than Dr. True, ben Carson. It was a true privilege. So let's get to it. Here's our interview with Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Carson, those on the far left are attempting to paint America as a racist country, um, talking about the systemic racism of our founders and how it's embedded into our nation's history. Why are so many in the mainstream media and other cultural influencers in the public square engaging in such dialogue? Well, they've discovered that if you make people feel guilty, then they're much more pliable. <laughs> you can get them to do things that they normally wouldn't do. And uh, it's really problematic. And when you stop and think about it, if we were all that racist and horrible, why would all these people be trying to get in here? And when they got here, wouldn't they call all their friends and relatives and say, don't come here, this is a horrible <laughs> place. <laughs> Just the opposite is going on. You know, They're trying to get everybody to come. So obviously, it's not a horrible racist place. Yeah, people vote with their feet, of course, and and we see which way that goes year after year and and month after month. But it does, you know, when when we see things like critical race theory that's become such an issue recently, it really does seem like that's what's at the root of it is to make people feel guilty, to put people on the defensive, which which ends up dividing us. And it, it seems like that's sort of a Marxist way of going about things to bring about division and 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 rewrite the history of the nation, which which really has tangible harmful effects. It does. I mean, when you stop and think about it, what good does it do to have a large portion of our population feeling guilty and like they're oppressors and that their ancestors are oppressors and another large portion thinking that they're victims and that you can never really succeed because of the way this is? How does that lead to anything good? There's, there, there really is no good that comes out of that. And it really is a mechanism of control, divide and conquer. And if you, if you look at the Marxist literature, 
you see it is rife with mechanisms for dividing people uh, as a prelude to changing their society. And Dr. Carson, it seems to me that your personal story is important in all of this because you have experience with what kind of country this is. Uh, You know, I think probably most people listening to us are fairly familiar with your story. There may be some who are not, but... um, in your experience as someone who went from very modest means to uh, to uh, first a brain surgeon and then uh, a, a cabinet member in a presidential administration, um, your your personal story seems to belie this idea that this is just a nation built on oppressing and holding people of color back. Well, you know, my personal story actually uh, is a barometer for me mm. on what's happening to our nation because— Early on, uh, the left thought I was great. It was wonderful. Uh, The left today would rather I didn't exist Mm. because it's antithetical to what they preach. I'm not. It doesn't fit their narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so you you see how our our society is changing within a relatively short period of time. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, you know. In terms of the racism in our country, you have to look at how our country has changed uh, in my lifetime. When I was a kid and a black person came on television who wasn't in a servile role, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. You called everybody in to the living room, <laughs> and I mean, this was a big deal. And uh, now, You know, you have black admirals and generals and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and heads of foundations and university presidents. We've had a black president, black vice president. I mean, to say that things have not changed, and that's just in my lifetime. Mm. You know, a society that's able to accommodate to that degree that quickly, that says a lot. Absolutely. One of the areas we're seeing the divisive rhetoric is in the educational system here in America. And one of the things you have committed to your life's calling and particularly of of recent through the Cornerstone Institute, uh, you're developing materials that can be implemented in the school system. Why is it so important that this message uh, of the true story of America's founding is implemented in our schools and for the sake of the next generation? It's absolutely critical because your history is the basis of your identity, Hmm. and your identity is the basis of your beliefs. And if you interrupt that chain anywhere along the line, you become like a leaf blowing in the wind with no foundation. This is the very reason that when ISIS goes into a place and conquers it, what do they do? They get rid of the history. First thing Mm -hmm. they do, universities, the libraries, all these things— obliterate. And uh, we have to make sure that we don't allow that to happen in our country. Uh, Have we had some negative things occur in our country? Of course we have, because we're inhabited by human beings, which is why we need a savior. (laughs) We're not perfect. Amen. But, But do we learn? That's what you do. You learn from things that have happened before so that you can move forward. Uh, You don't necessarily pick out the bad things and try to build the future on those things, like critical race theory, the 1619 Project. They just want to pick out the bad things and try to build everything around that. How foolish is that? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. 
So let's look at that from the perspective of, of someone who thinks that our true history should be taught and recognizes that there are flaws as well as wonderful things. The, the, the current narrative that, that CRT or, or 1619 Project narrative essentially says that the, the country was founded upon slavery, that that was its founding ideal, mm-hmm. and particularly that the founding fathers, the authors of the Declaration of Independence, the authors of the Constitution, do not are not due our reverence or our attention because they were in many cases, not all cases, but many cases, slave owners. And that essentially nullifies anything that they did, any importance that they should have to us. Uh, as someone who cares about our history and as someone who's been part of a presidential administration, what 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 is your response to that narrative that's becoming the popular one in schools and media? Well, my response is, uh, you know, the Little Patriots program. That's that's why we created the Little Patriots program as part of the American Cornerstone. It pre- it presents the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. But if you're objective and you're honest, you see there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. <laughs> and we put that into perspective for people. That's what's very important. Uh, the values and principles that went into the founding of this country were amazing. Those founding fathers were meticulous. They studied every governmental system that had ever existed, and uh, they wanted to be eclectic. They would take the good things out, exclude the bad things, because they recognized that the natural tendency of government was to expand, infiltrate, and to dominate. And they wanted to make sure that didn't happen. And that's how we came up with our Constitution. It's amazing. Hey, Dr. Carson, we've already mentioned you're the, the founder of the American Cornerstone Institute. Uh, you've obviously, as of uh, the, in the last decade, you have been a, a government leader, uh, Secretary of HUD. Uh, you have certainly been influential in politics for a while now. Uh, but you've also uh, arguably the world's most famous neurosurgeon. Uh, you've authored books. Uh, but every step of the way, there's been something that has guided you, and I know for a fact it is your faith. Uh, talk a little spe- specifically about how your faith in God has guided you through all of your various careers and callings in life. Well, you know, it was first of all God who changed me from a, a raging teenager mm-hmm. with a horrible temper, yeah. and he... he got me to understand one day after I tried to stab someone that the reason I was angry all the time is because I was selfish. It was always about me, me, my, and I, and if I could step outside the center of the circle, I wouldn't be angry. That was actually the last day I had an angry outburst. Wow. I mean, it was dramatic, the change that occurred. Only explained by God. (laughs) Only by God. And then... You know, as a young attending neurosurgeon, uh, I must admit I thought I was pretty hot stuff. I mean, <laughs> I was 33 years old. I was chief of pediatric neurosurgery mm-hmm. at Johns Hopkins. I mean, I it's said, pretty impressive. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> but then a young boy came and he had a malignant brainstem tumor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the parents had taken him to lots of different places and everybody said, same thing, take them home, keep them comfortable, and let them die. I ended up operating on him twice. Um, and today he's a minister. Wow, that's amazing. But, you know, that was really what taught me that particular case. 
that it wasn't me at all. Mm. I said, Lord, from now on, you be the neurosurgeon and I'll be the hands. That's awesome. And that's when all of these amazing things began yeah. to happen. Well, I, I know God is using you in amazing ways to influence some of the great thought leaders and cultural leaders of our time. But as we were talking earlier in my office, that book you wrote about your life story, Gifted Hands, and mm-hmm. talking about that dramatic transformation of being transformed from a angry little boy to the man that you are today is is making impact on so many young people, including my son who read your book, has required reading at our <laughs> school. So uh, thank you for how you're impacting not the not, not, not only the great thought leaders, but also the next generation. Absolutely. And it's so important that we recognize that we have to be very active in terms of our children's educational process. Remember, it was Vladimir Lenin, Marxist-in-chief, who said, give me your children to teach for four years, and the seed that I sow will never be uprooted. Wow. And that's why they are so anxious to get into our schools and to indoctrinate our kids because they know that's very hard to change. The Bible says it too. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And that's what we have to really concentrate on. We have to be more diligent than the leftists are. Yeah. Speaking of children, another aspect of your life's calling is to expose the problem of absent fathers in the home and how that is plaguing America. Why is this issue so important? And in particular, our audience, why should the people of God in America be concerned with absent fathers in the home right now? Well, all you have to do is look at the statistics uh, in terms of children who grow up in fatherless homes, uh, how many of them end up in the penal system, uh, how many of them end up poor. And uh, obviously there was a reason that God created the nuclear family. Mm. Uh, If you look at the Marxist writings, they say the Western paternalistic family is a horrible thing Mm. and uh, really should not be uh, looked upon with any admiration whatsoever. And uh, there's been a war on the family and on God. And uh, the war on the family started maybe about 60 years ago. You'll notice on television programs, particularly the comedies, the role of the father is made fun of mm-hmm. and diminished. He became Absolutely. a doofus as opposed to a leader of his family. Absolutely. So the difference between Ward Cleaver and Archie Bunker, exactly. basically. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, that's had a deleterious effect. And then some of the policies that our government has pushed forward. Uh, you know, if you're getting housing assistance and you get a raise, uh, you have to report that immediately so that your rent can go up. That's not much of an incentive. If somebody comes into the home who's earning uh, money, you have to report that so your rent can go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not very conducive to family formation. And, uh, you know, it, it's these kinds of policies that I think are, are very harmful. Mm. And, you know, for a short period of time, during the Clinton administration, uh, when Newt was in charge of the Congress, you know, we were able to put some things into the welfare system that made sense. You know, 
necessity to work in order to get benefits and mm-hmm. things like that. And it had a profound beneficial effect. And then, you know, and now we've thrown those things out and it's had a profound non-beneficial effect. Mm-hmm. And most of what we do, we've tried already at some point in time and we've seen the results. And if we were logical, we would take the things that worked and we would duplicate and expand them. You would think. <laughs> you know, that would make sense. <laughs> and yet it seems that it doesn't, doesn't go that way. Uh, Dr. Carson, in, in our few remaining minutes, uh, you know, this entrance into politics, you've, you've lived a remarkable American life. And this, this entrance into politics was a, a late, late, later in life development for you. And it, it brought you into the most controversy in your life. I, I, we Christians who believe the Bible are increasingly facing a cultural onslaught, um, and yet it's nothing for most of us compared to what you faced, uh, you know, in the public eye after you became a, a, a candidate for president and then a member of the Trump administration. Um, you know, program after program going after you. As a give us some guidance and encouragement as someone who's been there uh, to to help steal our backbones for this onslaught for this cultural onslaught, how do we Christians stand and be courageous in a time when our beliefs are no longer accepted in the culture at large? Well, the key thing, I think, is to make sure that we don't stand in the corner and say nothing. Uh, we have to, to be out front uh, with our beliefs and uh, be willing to challenge the status quo. Mm. Um, I had no intention of getting into the political arena. That's the last thing I thought I would ever do. Uh, but after the National Prayer Breakfast in 2013, everybody was saying, you should run for president, which I thought was a silly idea. I said, if I ignore <laughs> these people, it'll go away. But it didn't go away. It kept growing. Every place I went, there were people with placards, run, been run, 500,000 petitions. Which, by the way, a fun fact, only two individuals have been invited to speak at that prayer breakfast. That's right. Twice. Billy Graham right. and, and Dr. Dr. Ben, ben Carson. Carson. Fun fact. I didn't know You're in good company. Wow. That was one of the things that made me accept the second. Uh, <laughs> I did that research and I said, Billy Graham, that's, that's pretty right. good company. <laughs> Not bad. But... Uh, and, and then I said to the Lord, if you really want me to run, you have to give me all the things that a person who runs for president has, wow. an organization, money, a Rolodex with all the important names. Next thing I knew, all of those things were there. We were raising more money than the RNC. It was ridiculous. But he had a plan. Hmm. And I think it involved me going to HUD. I don't know what else it involves. We'll see. But um, all I know is that all we have to do is follow his guidance. We don't have to create guidance. Amen. Amen. I know the other thing you need is an incredible wife, and you have that in Mrs. Carson. I know she's the uh, backbone of your marriage and of your family. Uh, 48 years uh, in July. Oh, congratulations. Couldn't have done it without her. Amen. Amen. You know, people often say to me, John, you're no brain surgeon. And uh, I've always known that was true. But when I'm sitting next to an actual (laughs) one, it becomes more clear than ever uh, that I'm no brain surgeon. You actually are. And just a a brilliant career and a a brilliant testimony for the Lord in the highest realms of of public life in America. God bless you. We appreciate you being with us. Yeah, Dr. Carson, you could have easily retired. You have certainly done enough in your career. But the fact that 
that you keep going and launching the American Cornerstone Institute. Uh, God be with you as you well, continue you. to advance I, this mission. I can't retire uh, knowing that the country is moving in the mm. wrong direction. And uh, I figure I'll retire in heaven. Amen. Okay. <laughs> well, God bless you as you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the City of God podcast produced in partnership with the Institute of Faith and Culture. This is a weekly podcast, so make sure you listen to all of our previous podcasts. You can go to cityofgodpodcast.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, and make sure that you watch the video version on our YouTube page. Also, just a reminder, please share this podcast with family and friends and anyone else who is interested in thinking about the biggest cultural issues of our day from the lens of God's infallible word. I want to thank you once again for listening to the City of God podcast.